Good afternoon and welcome to Community Focus. I'm Kyle Gassett in Opelika, sitting in for Carolyn Hutchison. Well, as the final weeks of August draw to a close, you may be wondering where you can go to get the most out of those remaining days of summer. Well, today we're taking you on a trip to one of Alabama's six national parks, Horseshoe Bend National Military Park, six miles north of Dadeville. We'll talk about the historical significance of the park in a moment. But first, Superintendent Doyle Sapp tells us how the government first acquired Horseshoe Bend. It kind of dates back to the 1920s. There was a move to dam up the river, and basically this area would be part of Lake Martin. Some local people, like Judge C.J. Coley, formed the Horseshoe Bend Battle Park Association. Alabama Power purchased the land, 2,040 acres of this area, and donated to the National Park in the 1950s. The park was, uh, the legislation was enacted in 1959 to make this a part of the National Park Service. And as you can tell, we're not under Lake Martin right now, so Lake Martin was moved a little bit. So what's the reason government officials work so hard to keep this land out of the lake? Horseshoe Bend National Military Park is the site and commemorates the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, which took place in March of 1814. It was the decisive battle in the Creek War of 1813 to 1814, which in itself was a part of the larger, in context of the larger War, war of 1812. Uh, it's significant because it made the reputation of Andrew Jackson. His victory here was responsible for him being appointed a major general in the U.S. Army and taking command of the 7th Military District, which included New Orleans and Pensacola. Just as significant is the fact that it had a huge impact on the Creek and other Native Americans because, one, uh, the treaty that ended the Creek War ceded 5 million acres of Creek land to the states of Alabama and Georgia, another way of how this nation was made up, uh, and also, again, pushed Andrew Jackson into prominence, which would eventually lead to his term as president, which would have an impact on Native American peoples in that he pushed for the Indian Removal Act to remove all the remaining tribes west of the Mississippi. And it was also the uh, largest loss of Native American life in any American Indian battle in our history. The park is situated on the bend of the Tallapoosa River, which, as you probably guessed, is in the shape of a horseshoe. That's actually where the Creek warriors gathered in 1814 to defend themselves from the attack of Jackson's forces. Doyle Sapp says there are in the neighborhood of 60 to 100,000 guests that visit the park each year, and 15,000 of them make their way to the visitor center and through the historical exhibit. This is the story of the Battle of Horseshoe Bend. The day that I visit the park, my guide through the exhibit is someone who knows the place inside and out. My name is Ovi Jensen, and I'm a park ranger here at Horseshoe Bend National Military Park. And I serve as, of course, the uh, lead interpreter, as well as the historian for the park. You could say in some ways that this place is kind of in Ovi's blood, so to speak. Since my earliest memories, I've always been fascinated with history. And I am also uh, local to this area. I grew up in, in Auburn, 
uh, not too far down the road from Horseshoe Bend and have been visiting the park since my early childhood and uh, was fortunate that when I left graduate school uh, in the mid-90s, there was a position coming becoming available here in the park, and so I worked my way into that position and have uh, advanced a little bit uh, through the years here. The story begins on the morning of March 27, 1814. General Andrew Jackson has sent General John Coffey with 1,300 cavalrymen and Indian allies to surround the 100-acre peninsula, hoping to cut off any retreat across the Tallapoosa River. And of course, the first thing that we see is a sign that um, is, is telling us about the, the fateful day that, that shapes Horseshoe Bend. Absolutely. The, uh, the battle here has a, a, a bloody significance, there's no doubt. Um, for an American Indian force, this is the bloodiest day in United States history. Uh, more, more, Creek war well, more Indian warriors lose their lives on this field than in any other battle in United States history, which uh, I think a lot of people would not normally associate that with an event in Alabama. They're going to think, oh, out west or, or maybe up in, the, uh, up in the northeast corner of the country. But in fact, it, it is here in Alabama that that happens. About 1,000 Red Stick warriors man their stout log barricade, which blocks access to the horseshoe. They await the attack with supreme confidence. Behind them, in the Red Stick village in the southern part of the bend, 300 women and children also wait, but with mixed feelings. Can you give us a sense how many people were living on this peninsula or settled in this peninsula at this particular time? Well, through the people were, are moving into the area and are gathering through the late winter of 1813 and into the early uh, months of 1814. It's, you could maybe assume that as many as uh, 2,000 people might have, might have gathered in the bend, at least, you know, if not necessarily living every night or day in the bend, they were living in the area. And supposedly from about maybe 300 structures that had been built, that suggests that a fair amount of people were in the area. From uh, one of the, the captives, there, there was a Cherokee woman who was, was a captive amongst the Red Sticks when she was freed at the end of the battle. She gives the account that there were 1,000 Red Stick warriors gathered here. At the moment or the day of the battle, we know that there was 1,000 a, a warriors then and about 350 women and children who were, who were captured. Um, from several other accounts, it seems that there was a much greater number of women and children and that many had, had removed themselves prior to the battle and had taken up a place of refuge a few miles south of us. When we say red stick, what are we talking about? What does that mean, that term? The, the, our best uh, thinking at this point is that the, that the red stick really refers to the red painted war club that was used. The war club it was used by uh, by many of the tribes, actually, north and south. But here, uh, specifically, we refer to the Creek War Club, and it's a it's an ancient traditional weapon. And by this point, it has become at least a symbolic weapon. And I, I feel certain, and we know from some accounts that they were used in the battle. But the real significance is they were a symbolic weapon of war when painted red. Red meaning war and, and within Creek society, it was a token of war. And so that, that war faction will become known as the Red Sticks. The stage is set. 
Jackson has told his troops, any officer or soldier who flies before the enemy without being compelled to do so by superior force shall suffer death. By 10.30, his 2,000 infantrymen are approaching the barricade. Hailed with a challenge to the combat by the Red Sticks, Jackson's soldiers reply with their muskets and two small cannons. Hearing the sounds of battle, a few Cherokees from Coffee's force swim the river, steal canoes, and begin ferrying men across. So this created, this peninsula here, created a natural place for all of these Creek warriors, all of these Native American warriors, to collect. They, they, they ended up here. Yes, it, it, it seems to uh, make a natural defensive position. And of course, we know from you know from history at this point, uh, it, it became a natural trap as well. It's we we just can't say for for sure why would they place themselves in a, in a trap like this. There could be a, a number of reasons or factors why they may have chosen the ground. There's no doubt. I mean, they it, it is a defensive place. The river does provide some means of of defense. It slows down anybody trying to cross. It also slows down anybody trying to escape, which is what ultimately will happen. Um, by having just the one open side, it was relatively simple to close it off and make a barrier. And the barricade that they did draw across or, or construct across the, the narrow point, the neck of the bend, was a very formidable obstacle. And uh, without a doubt, uh, the bloodiest minutes of the battle come from the attack on the barricade. More people were killed at that point than at any other point of during the battle. The force pushes forward, burns the Indian village, and attacks the Red Stick line from the rear. Meanwhile, Jackson gives the order to advance. The long roll sounds. The troops surge forward against the log barricade and take it by storm. The event could no longer be doubtful, Jackson later recalled, yet the Red Sticks fight more desperately than ever. Finally, caught between the two forces, the surviving Creek warriors scatter to the river, hoping to escape. Fate is against them. Coffee's riflemen surround the bend and pick off the fugitives. By sunset, the battle was over. As someone wrote later, the sun was going down and it set on the ruin of the Creek Nation, where but a few hours before a thousand red stick warriors had scowled on death, there was nothing to be seen but volumes of dense smoke and the burning ruins of fortifications. But Jackson and the Horseshoe would live in history. So do you think, um, given where Jackson is coming from, given his ambition, given his, his record, do you think Horseshoe Bend and, of course, the Battle of New Orleans were inevitable for, for him, in a way? It, it's hard to say that they're inevitable. He, um, he had a very driven personality to the point where... Uh, I think his, his 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 mind was stronger in many ways than his body, and it, and it kept him uh, at a task when, when his his body is somewhat falling apart. Uh, if anything was inevitable, certainly some sort of success and accomplishment was probably inevitable from him. Had it not been had it not been on on battlefields here in the South. It may have been in political arenas in, in, in Tennessee. In some way, he was going to gain attention. And you know, the facts are it, it's, it's military success that, that brings him the spotlight. 
but I think given who he was, where he was at in, in, in the period in, in time that he lived, he was going to become a national name in some capacity. I ask Ovi to recommend his essential spots to visit in the park. He rightly tells me that both the Park Overlook and Tour Stop 3, where the village Tohopeka once stood, are both beautiful. And number three is important as the place where Jackson's allies overtook the rear of the fight. But for me, the most powerful place is Tour Stop 2, where the Creek Indian Barricade once stood. It's here where we find the rare military quote, where one adversary praises the ingenuity of his enemy. The creek had erected a breastwork of greatest compact and strength from five to eight feet high and prepared with double rows of portholes, very artfully arranged. An army could not approach it without being exposed to a double and crossfire from the enemy who lay in perfect security behind it. Major General Andrew Jackson, Tennessee Militia. But of course, there can only be one winner in any battle. After a two-hour cannon bombardment of the Red Sticks Barricade, Major General Jackson discovered that some of General Coffey's Creek and Cherokee warriors had crossed the Tallapoosa and attacked the Red Sticks from the rear. Realizing his enemy was surrounded, Jackson gave the order from his men to charge the barricade at 12.30 p.m. For a few brief but bloody minutes, the fighting raged. Warriors and soldiers desperately struggled to control the barricade, shooting, hacking, and stabbing with muskets, tomahawks, and bayonets. Overwhelmed by numbers and firepower, the Red Sticks fell back to the riverbanks. Many attempted the escape by crossing the Tallapoosa, only to be shot by Coffee's men stationed on the opposite side. That's our show today. More information about Horseshoe Bend National Military Park can be found at www.mps.gov hobe or by calling 256 256- 234-7111. Our thanks today goes to Doyle Sapp and Ovi Jensen. I'm Kyle Gassett. Carolyn Hutchison returns tomorrow. Our program is a public service of Troy University. And we now return you to Troy for the remainder of your news hour. Yes, I'm crazy about a I'm gonna buy